The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us today. I am very glad that you're here, and thank you so much for liking Spirit of Recovery on Facebook and for posting on our wall, and thanks for letting me know what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk, and it's great, and and I'm so glad that what we're doing here on Spirit of Recovery is making a difference for you. Um, I'm glad that you're letting your friends know about us here on Spirit of Recovery, the people in your uh, spiritual communities, the people in your recovery programs, your family, your friends, everybody. We're grateful that you're letting them know, and I love the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of spirituality and recovery. Every week, we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable, and innovative, people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people, and we're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. So, uh, you know, too, that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live, of course, via your computer, via your smart device. You can also go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. You can listen via your Alexa-enabled device. Um, Simply go listen to um, Unity Online Radio. Just ask Alexa to play Unity Online Radio on TuneIn and uh, search for Spirit of Recovery. Also, you can listen on demand. We've got lots of podcasts, and you can uh, listen at your own leisure. Go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash spirit of recovery, and you can find us there, and you can also find us on iTunes. So you got lots of options for listening to Spirit of Recovery and for sharing it with your community. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place. So that if you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're the family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction and um, whether you are or are not in recovery, whoever you are, I'm very glad that you're here. You may just be curious about the process of uh, recovery and want to learn some more about it. Whoever you are, you're welcome here and you're welcome to participate um, in our discussions via uh, uh, an email or a phone call. And uh, if you've got a comment or question for my guests, we'd be just really glad to have you participating. I always also want you to know that um, if you would like to financially support Unity Online Radio, and that helps support a Spirit of Recovery and also the many other very uplifting and informative programs that are on Unity Online Radio, you can do that. You can text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone, and you can make a one-time or an ongoing contribution. And uh, this is a nonprofit endeavor, and um, if you'd like to financially support it, you can do that. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. 
I'm a unity minister and also an addictions counselor, and I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction, and about 35 years ago, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development, and my walk continues to be an integration of unity and recovery principles, and that keeps transforming my life and keeps me growing. So again, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas with you and to uh, bring you great guests and also, again, to hear what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. Today, we've got a very interesting program. It's called Tapping into the Healing Power of Art. You know, art is a powerful tool for self-expression, and art creates an avenue for feelings, for intuition and insight. And uh, tapping into that healing power of art does not require talent, but just a willingness to open to your inner life. Because it's not about producing something necessarily um, to sell or to display, though you might. It's really about engaging um, in your inner life and expressing that through art. And uh, doing that can support long, strong, long-term recovery. And my guest today is somebody that knows a lot about that. Her name is Robin M. Gilliam, and she is a person in long-term recovery. She started in recovery in 1991, and she has climbed her way out of that hole of desperation that addiction um, can be and also domestic violence to uh, let her life blossom. She has become a certified public accountant an artist and an author, and also the director and the facilitator at Recovery Art Studio. Robin's um, novel, she wrote a novel, um, which is called Gift of Desperation, and it's a wonderful uh, story, a provocative story of hope and inspiration that is wound around Robin's real artwork. And again, as I said, also Robin um, uh, has Recovery Art Studio, and this offers so many, many resources um, online and also um, obviously through, um, you know, face-to-face workshops and so forth. And she, she does a lot of things she's going to be sharing with us with today about that. So today she's going to share with us about her own journey and also the ways that art do powerfully support recovery. So you can learn more about um, her studio and the all the many resources and her novel, Gift of Desperate. If you go to the website, it's recoveryartstudio.com. And um, I'm going to leave it at that and let uh, Robin share some things with us about her own life. And um, she's got a, a, a wonderful story of recovery. I will say this. Uh, she, As I told you, she's been in long-term recovery since 1991. At the age of 10, she discovered her passion for art and healing, and she dreamed of becoming an art therapist. And then at the age of 14, um, as happens to many people, she started to use drugs. Um, but she kept going forward, and in 1984, she graduated from Goucher College with a B.A. in Art and Psychology. Um, you know, then she uh, found herself in a dangerous domestic violence situation that brought her close to death, and she had to abandon her dreams there for a while. But she climbed out of that hole of desperation and into recovery, and her life is blossoming and, and has been for many years, and she shares that with people uh, through many avenues. So, Robin Gilliam, welcome to Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, Reverend Anna. I am so excited to be here and join your listeners, and the Spirit of Recovery runs through Recovery Art Studio because we are also working on the spiritual principles of recovery in connection with the healing power of art. So I think we're very connected and our messages are very similar. I just do it a little differently. In addition to the 12 steps, I use art as a way to get out all that stuff that, if it stays in me, continues to fester and cause, you know, problems. It's a way for me to manage my addiction, and that's what I'm teaching people, is how to use art to, you know, release, relax, discover, and recover. So I am extremely excited to be here and and very honored and blessed that you asked me to join you today. Great. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, go ahead. 
I was just going to say thank you for the introduction. It's always funny to hear your own story, and then it's like, oh, that's so sad. But then you think, oh, now my story is, yes, it was sad at one time. And actually, 30 years ago, 1986, was an extremely, extremely bad year for me. And as a matter of fact, I experienced a lot of PTSD this year. Um, I'm not sure why anniversaries do that. I actually had to step in and, and visit my counselor, which I would suggest anybody does if, you know, it gets too hard and it's beyond the 12 steps or other things, you know, go visit your counselor. And that's what I had to do because I was getting a lot of flashbacks and other things from what happened in 1986. So I'm just going to step back there to where it was really bad and then we'll walk out to where it's a lot better today. Great. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, you you said, you know, at at 10 I got, uh, you know, I, I discovered art therapy and I thought that's what I need to do. I need to do that. I need to heal people with art, everybody with art. And I just recently discovered that I think the reason I was so interested in that, in addition to loving art, is I had a great-grandmother who was hospitalized, institutionalized for years for um, schizophrenia. And I I have done a lot of research on her. And I think we would drive by the facility and my dad would say, oh, your great-grandmother lived there. And I thought, well, how sad that somebody would have to be so sick to live there. And I think subconsciously I, I wanted to heal people. At that time, I didn't know anything about addiction. But And then around 14, like you said, I started to use marijuana. And I think I was self-medicating. You know, you, the onion peels when you're in, addic- in recovery and you start to learn more. And I, I learned that I was using the, the marijuana, the pot, probably because I had migraine headaches and had a lot of anxiety. In fact, I just put a blog out about gratitude, how gratitude helps to release some of that anxiety, you know, to retraining our mind and getting stuck on, on things. Um, so I had a problem, I would have a problem breathing, and, and I think, the, you know, some people marijuana made them paranoid, not me, it just seemed to fix everything. And by the time I went through college and I, I hooked up with somebody who was um, very charming, very nice looking, but a pathological liar and turned out to be a rapist. And by 86, I had moved to New York and I was in a, I had actually gotten into a master's program at NYU with some of the founders of the art therapy movement, and, um, but I couldn't do it. I just, by that time, I was very involved in, in crack cocaine and still using pot, and I, I just burned out, and I couldn't. So that was the, one of the first devastating things. I, you know, I dropped out of a dream that I had had for years. In addition, you know, I, I married this very charming, dangerous person, and that didn't last very long. And during that time, I almost died from the crack cocaine. I guess somebody told me recently, you basically had an overdose. And I remember walking the streets of the Bronx. That's where I lived. And my heart was thundering. I mean, I I thought it was going to explode out of my chest. I couldn't sit down. I couldn't stand up. I just walked and walked and walked until I finally got under control. And and I never touched this stuff again because, for me, that I was blessed with that. If something made me that sick, I just didn't touch it again. But... What happened in September, um, I did eventually separate from my husband and my ex-husband. And um, during the separation, um, he did, he, he raped and sodomized me. So mm. in addition to the, the domestic violence was more, that was part of the domestic violence, but also there was a lot of mental, I came out of that relationship not knowing who I was, what I thought, because there was always that um, verbal and mental abuse. So I didn't know who I was or what I thought or what I believed in. And, and I just, you know, I'm sure I can relate to a lot of people out there not having any idea who I was. And, and then the rape happened. And I, you know, I still had stopped using the crack cocaine, but I never stopped using the drugs. I kept smoking pot because it just kept all that shame and guilt and blame shoved way down. And um, I didn't have to feel anything. And I did that, 86. So like I said, this past year was, was pretty tough in the PTSD, and I used my art a lot to kind of get that out. And, you know, if the anger boiled up, I would. And that was the other thing. I was a very angry addict. I think as addicts, I don't, probably for myself, I don't personally know how to really express myself or my feelings because I, I never really knew how to do that. And so anger was something that sat on top of that for a really long time. So during the 20-some years in program, I was learning to identify what the anger was and what the feelings were really underneath that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, and so, you know, I, I think I used 86 about six 
five more years to about 91 with the pot. I had a co-home back to Maryland. I um, I started a job the very next day. So there was like a rule in our family. It's like you always worked. So there was no, I was always a very functioning addict. And I just went back to work, but I was still smoking on the way, smoking home, smoking at lunch. I was, I mean, I was basically probably always high because I just couldn't deal. And one day I just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I guess I just subconsciously did a first step. And my sister, it's funny. Well, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then, but my sister's a social worker. So she got the social worker gene and I got the addiction gene. <laughs> and um, I hope she doesn't mind, but she's also a dyslexia. So when she was having kids, which I didn't have, we were both praying. I was like hoping they didn't get addiction and she was hoping they didn't get dyslexia. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't think they got either one right now, but we're, we're having the conversation with my niece about, you know, about the addiction that runs through the family. So, yeah, 1991, February 6, 1991, I just got sick and tired. My sister gave me, I guess it was a big book at that time, and told me to get my rear end to a meeting, do the 90 meetings in 90 days, and, and I never picked up again after that. I just, I was so ready to to get into life, but it was still, it was so hard, you know, going and changing that. It's, it's very hard to learn a new way of life, and I remember I met a, a woman, Kimmy, if you're out there, I've missed you, I haven't seen you in a long time, but... We started taking, like, a collage class together, and I hadn't done artwork in a really long time. The artwork I did in school under my bachelor's degree was ceramics, and I, um, you know, it was, it was classroom stuff. So I had never really done my own artwork. I'd always had a little space to do artwork. Even in New York, I always seemed to need a space to do drawings or something. But we took this collage class, and she told us to bring in some stuff that we wanted to put together, and I brought in a shirt that was kind of reminiscent of my marriage. And I was so excited because we got to tear it up and put it back together again. And, and I just found so much magic in putting things together that didn't belong together. And every time I did a collage, I felt like I was putting myself back together because I was so broken. I mean, I came out of that marriage, he stole my camera. I mean, not only in addition to the rape, but he stole my camera which I never got back. I love taking pictures. If you watch me, my Facebook, you'll see a lot of flowers and pictures. I just, and I love the phones now. The phones have these great cameras in them. So what a blessing. But he stole my camera. He, he stole all my stuff and my cat. I got most of it back in the cat, which was a blessing and brought him back to Maryland. But it was, it was just devastating. And, but that one class got me started on doing my own artwork to heal. And I did that for, and with the 12 steps for years, like 15 years, 15 years, <laughs> I was doing the artwork and creating collages and working out that anger and going to 12 step meetings. And um, at one point, now I have addiction from both sides. So I'm a family member and mm-hmm. I'm an, an addict. So my husband got involved in the opioids. So mm-hmm. we have firsthand knowledge of the opioid epidemic and at some point he went to live out in our trailer out in the in the yard it was it was devastating and you know he almost said he almost killed himself it was just a bad time and I started to write at that time I got a I'm sure you will totally understand I got a divine calling I got a message from my higher power that said you need to write a book about the 12 steps in art and I just kind of looked up and said who are you kidding (laughs) who are you kidding I don't write and you're a funny fellow because I don't write. And I don't write because, sorry, Mom, if you're listening, but she read my diary at a very young age, and that was another reason I started shutting down because nobody was listening, and, gosh, I'm so glad there was no text messages back then. But I was, you know, my diary was read, and I I felt very voided, and, and I didn't ever express myself. I didn't, when I wrote in journals, I wrote on front pages and back pages and upside down. I just wrote so messy that you couldn't understand because I just didn't want people to write or read my, my feelings. So now you're telling me to write a book. And I started to write, and what happened was I, I wrote to like the third or fourth step, and I just thought, oh, I don't want to write a self-help book. I just, I get stopped at a self-help book. I just thought by the third chapter, I'm not going to do whatever it is you tell me to do. And then I got a message that said, let's write a novel. And I thought, are you, 
you're, this is even stupider than the first suggestion because I, I don't have, I mean, I read a lot, but I don't know. How do you write a novel? So I'm, I'm very creative and I do a lot of research and I just started researching and I got the idea to curate all my own artwork. So all of my artwork, which was really, the, the act of writing is also as therapeutic. It's also in the healing power of art, art and writing and music. I mean, I'm not putting a label on anything that's art. Anything that you do, I saw that you have musicians that come on. Um, mm-hmm. Anything that people do, and it's creative and get and expresses ourselves is healing. So the writing was was very cathartic, and I started to curate my whole collection. And then I decided that my main character was going to be a curator who would, as she as she curated this collection, she would start to discover things about herself in the diaries. You don't know who the artist is. The artist is anonymous. Um, but as she reads the diary, she starts to understand more and more, and she starts to flash back into childhood trauma. So then I discovered my book was really about how does, and I was answering questions, how does trauma impact addiction? I believe, especially as a sexual survive, sexual assault survivor, that there's a lot of trauma behind addiction. In the opioids, <clears throat> we're seeing more physical things. We're seeing kids that are getting hurt and being put on opioids. So I don't know if it's as mental or, but I think it always starts with trauma. And then if you have the gene or if you, if it's so physically addicting. And so I started writing and curating and I didn't really know my, my main character's name is Claire Sebastian. I was watching Sex in the City, the, the, the younger one, they came out with the younger series and I did one of the kids' name was Sebastian. So I really like that name. I don't know where you get names from, but. Um, he, she's the only one with the last name. I realized I didn't give any of my other characters a last name, but I guess it didn't matter. And she, so I started curating, started using Claire, and then I thought, but I don't have a backstory for Claire. What is Claire's backstory? And at that time, my husband was in recovery, thank God, for the opioids, and I went to hear him share. And I heard things after 20 years of marriage that I didn't know. I didn't know that he was sexually assaulted as a child um, by a babysitter. I didn't know that he told his parents and they did nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So there's abandonment issues and there's sure. other things. I didn't. I knew that there was some. There was beating by his dad. I didn't know the extent of it. So we had mm-hmm. all this stuff wrapped mm-hmm. up, and I could see. I could sadly see some of the patterns that developed in my marriage and why I didn't have children. Um, mm-hmm. And I became enraged. I mean, all the anger had been working on for years. I, I kind of feel like I'm one of those dormant volcanoes that mm-hmm. just rests, and then all of a sudden that lava comes sprewing out of nowhere for no reason, and it's scary to know how enraged. It's part of my disease. I realize I'm just as addicted to anger as I am. You know, it's discomforting as it is to uh, the drugs, and. So I made Claire my husband's backstory, and he knows, so I can kind of break his anonymity. Claire is has his backstory, so her trauma is his trauma. And it's also other traumas that I have heard in the rooms that are so horrific that I didn't know what to do with them in my head. I had no idea what to do with them, and the only way to process, like, why is somebody promiscuous after they've been sexually assaulted? That's not my story. I went the other way. So I didn't understand that, but I had a friend that was like that. And so I was exploring that. Why does that happen? How does that happen? Um, the whole denial that we go through. Oh, you know, Claire's just a party girl. She's having fun. You know, her other friends are out having babies and being married and moving on with life, and she's still out there doing her thing. So, you know, I kind of exploited that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you read my book, some of the 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 sexual themes, they're fan, they're, I'm living my life through Claire too, so they're not necessarily mine, they just came to kiss God, gives you cool gifts at different times too, I was like, you better give me a good scene here, because I don't know what to do with this one, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so it sounds like it's, um, your, your book, your novel, The Gift of Desperation, which people can locate if you, if they go to recoveryartstudio.com, they can find, uh, about it on there so it yeah. sounds like what you're saying uh robin is that it by sort of almost in a way by writing a story it kind of gives some objectivity and in, in a way and helps helps the author to process some feelings and thoughts is that accurate 
That's accurate. Uh, very accurate. Mm-hmm. I have another friend who wrote a book called Her. I'm going to put a plug out for my friend Felicia, and, and she deals with the addiction of cutting and self-harming. And, and she did a very similar thing where we've used inspired by light, personal stories to tell a story. And it, it, for mine, I, the more I engage in it, the, the more I didn't notice when I put it out. I really just thought it was a novel. And then people started saying, is this, you know, is, is is this an autobiography? What is this? And I was like, I don't know. But um, it has become clear that it's really, it really validates the addict. I mean, when you read it, you can say, yes, I, you know, I get it. That's Claire. Claire is you and she's me and, and she's anybody that's been suffered through addiction. Now, you know, I used alcohol and sex because it was the thing that most people, I think most people can relate to. And heroin and that stuff was not really around then. So mm-hmm. I used that. And I also wrote in a character, I work in Washington, D.C., and I often see wounded warriors that are homeless, and I just I just needed to do something to bring attention to them. And I wrote in a, a character called Evie, and she is a, she is a wounded warrior because I believe in very strong female characters, and, and she, she's got her own issues, and she has made her way out of addiction. She chose not to stay, you know, she's an amputee, and, and, and how did she struggle and come out and transition? from coming out of the war and into that. And she's really one of Claire's angels. So you, you also get the family side of it where she really talks like the Al-Anon side, like what do you do and you don't do and, and what could she do to help Claire and how did she have to wait and, you know, until Claire said help and, and until Claire found her gift of desperation. And I had to write a really hard scene in there to bring Claire to her knees. And I mean, I cried. I cried every time I read it, I cry every time I read it. And I, stomped around the house and I cried when I had to write it and I, I said, God, I don't want to write this and God said, you need to write this. It's very important and I, but I'm not writing it. Yes, you are. Sit down and write it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and and so I did that and, and Evie is, she she's awesome and so she, for any of the wounded warriors or any of our veterans that are coming back and transitioning, she's for you to say we, we thank you and we know the struggles that you have, and but, but there is hope also out there for you. And I know they're doing a lot of art for healing with the veterans. Mm-hmm. You know, I do a mask. Um, I'm getting ready to take a mask exercise into um, a facility. It's not a facility. It's an after-school program for kids in a lower income here. And I, I, do, I run their art program. We're going to do the mask exercise this Thursday with them. And I know that's right. very important for the veterans. So if you're a veteran and you have an opportunity to engage in one of those art for healing or art therapy programs, the VA is bringing them up around the country, please take the opportunity to, to do them. Um, they've found, you know, I, we know you're very strong, tough people, and you might think, well, I don't, you know, art sounds so stupid, but let me tell you, if you read the stories about these amazing warriors, they are finding a lot of healing through it. So I, I, I really encourage that a lot with the veterans. That's great. That's perfect. And and so true. Absolutely true. It's time for our break. Um, our topic today is tapping into the healing power of art. And my guest is Rob Robin Gilliam. And you can hear from all the great stuff Robin's sharing about the power of recovery and the power of art and why it's it's so helpful. Whatever way you express yourself makes a big difference in um, deepening and sustaining long-term recovery. Uh, you can... Find more about Robin at recoveryartstudio.com. Stay with us. We'll be um, right back. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. Wouldn't you like to share the programs that inspire you most with audiences around the world? That's easier than ever with mobile giving. Just text Unity Radio to 72727 and help us continue offering spiritual programs that change lives. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. 
Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, the Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find my God. for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share, call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery, and if you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host, and our topic today is Tapping into the Healing Power of Art. My guest is Robin M. Gilliam, and Robin is a person in long-term recovery. She's been in recovery since 1991, and she is also an artist and uh, has a uh, as an author. She wrote a novel, Gift of Desperation. She has a, a place called Recovery Art Studio that where she does workshops and all kinds of things that supports people in recovery in doing art, not for necessarily display, but to express. And uh, she has a wonderful saying that she got out of her college catalog. It says, there's a danger in not expressing your feelings. There's an even greater danger in not knowing what your feelings are. And uh, she's committed to this idea of both for herself and also for the people that she supports in recovery for uh, that attend her workshops and that she's engaged with in many ways in the community of supporting people finding out who they are through the expression of art. So uh, her website is recoveryartstudio.com. Before I get back to my conversation with Robin, I'd invite you to join me in a brief moment of meditation to open up to your higher power as you understand it. So let's just take a moment in the serenity minute. I invite you to relax, to feel that peaceful presence of your higher power as you let go and notice your breath easily and gently, moving in and out as you breathe Be aware of that relaxation from the crown of your head and share with me this constructive idea. My inner life is filled with rich light. It's safe for me to know who I am and express it. My inner life is filled with rich, beautiful light. It is safe for me to know who I am and to express it. And now we take just a moment in the quiet. for joining me in the Serenity Minute and I trust that that was an opportunity to open up and feel that presence of your higher power in your heart and mind and 
all within and around you. Just taking that moment to feel that inner life. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Robin Gilliam, and we're again talking about the healing power of art. So, uh, Robin, before the break, you were sharing with us um, the importance in your own personal life of yourself making art and also how you're uh, in your novel, Gift of Desperation. You created characters that really are in lots of ways um, composites of, of anybody uh, that's uh, – wrestling with the disease of addiction that's in recovery from it and also family members because it's a family disease and everybody um, is affected by addiction and you were talking about some real powerful characters in your novel and also really giving a wonderful shout out to our veterans who we know a lot of our veterans are struggling uh, with addiction and with recovery and giving a big shout out to them and the power of art and and the VA is uh, reaching out and, and doing some more art uh work with them and also there's lots of stuff going on i had a guest uh i don't know back in december or november who's works with healing families of veterans there's a lot of good stuff going on so yes veterans can take advantage of a lot of things so in this though i i'd love to talk about some of the work that you're doing with other people and also why you're willing to be visible because there's a a movement that's gotten going i don't know maybe 10 or 15 years now called the recovery advocacy movement um Tell us a little bit about your involvement in that and why you're willing to be on this radio program. We're not breaking the the 12-step traditions because we're not – we are using your last name, but we're not naming a program and all that. So we're really within the traditions, and I I sure check that out because that matters to me. Um, And yet – and still finding ways that you can really be visible and tell your story and to people outside of the recovery community. So share with us some more about that. Why does that matter, and how do you do that? How does it affect your life and your recovery? Recovery and how you think it impacts other people. Um, anonymous, no more. I think, and I do want to make it very clear that anonymity in the tradition has to do with not really talking about. I can't say Anna's in a particular program. I can't talk about somebody else being in a particular program. I have always been able to talk about myself being in a program, um, but. So it's not breaking a tradition. It's really about helping other people. It's a service that we do. And for up until July of 2015, I was quiet in the room. Nobody knew. I was not, I never went to a program, and I I just, nobody knew. And I didn't tell anybody at work because at that time there was so much stigma about being an addict and, and possibly being fired that I was scared. So I just kept it quiet, went to my meetings, and you know, kind of was, you know, only people in the room. So something happened with with the opioid and heroin. There was a Maryland emergency task force, and I thought it was really important that people start to know about the healing power of art, and I wrote to them, and the deputy governor, Sasa's contacted me and asked me if I wanted to testify, and I thought, okay. And in the meantime, I had Unite the Face Addiction was, I learned about, let me back up just a second. I took. I listened to Tommy Rosen's Recovery 2.0 conference. I think it was in the spring of 2015, and he had Greg Williams on there from United Face Addiction. And Greg was talking about how important it was for us to come out and talk about recovery and break the stigma of addiction. And I thought, okay, great. And I contacted them, and I got. Um, I was one of six authors who was in the book signing tent at United Face Addiction, and the only female novelist. And so I was already connected with them. And then this came out in Maryland, and I was actually said, okay. So then I worked with United States Addiction to actually come out of the recovery closet and um, talk about the art for healing, how important it is to express ourselves. I truly believe addiction cannot thrive in a quiet mind. It is big and bold, and art quiets our mind. When, when we're in addiction, our mind is spinning, and sometimes the only way people can stop it or think that they can stop it is to use the drugs to stop all the, the stuff that's boiling up from whatever they've suffered or whatever is going on with them. And so I actually testified in public, and at that time I thought I'd better tell my boss about it also because I work for a very public federal board, and I didn't want somebody to see it on the newspaper. So, I mean, I really came out of the recovery closet and I sat my boss down and and I told her and I said um, I need to come out of the closet and she said um, 
I thought you were married. And I said, oh, yeah, not that closet. <laughs> so, yeah, so I have to so say funny. for anybody, anybody that's had to come out of that closet and the recovery closet, I give you kudos because it can't be easy coming out of any of these closets. But yeah. I told her, and she she still loved me, and, and, and I didn't lose my job. And I think um, – and I testified – and then amazing things started happening. The United States Addiction, the book signing, the, the, I was just out. And then I started to get involved in my county, Anne Arundel County in Maryland, Anne Arundel Recovery. I started to go to meetings and get involved. And we, we had four outreach activities last year to start to break the stigma. And I was very involved with that. I'm now the secretary for the bigger, the bigger organization. And, we are a group of people, first responders, Department of Health, recovery facilities, detox facilities. I'm the only one doing the recovery art, and we get together and we, we find ways to break the stigma and talk about addiction. And, you know, we're losing in this country, what is it, one person every 19 minutes to heroin and opiate overdoses. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really important. That's why it's important. I almost lost my husband. It's really important for me to stand up and say, yes, I'm an addict, but I am in recovery, and this is what recovery looks like, and we're not going to be ashamed anymore. It's an addiction. It's a disease. And right. this is, And there's a ton of tools out there, the 12 steps, you know, the faith-based, you know, whatever it is, latch onto whatever tool that works. And for me, art is one of those tools that works. So I think it's really important to get out there in the community and, and start teaching this. So I, I've discovered I'm, I love to educate and speak. As you can tell, I'm not having any problem speaking on the program. That's good. <laughs> and, that's, that's great. I love this stuff. I love the educating. I, I'm, a, I'm an educator now of recovery and managing our addiction. It's really important for people to understand that we have a disease. It can be managed on a daily basis. The 12 steps help me do that. Um, there are roadmaps for me as to how do I live my life and the art is um, gives me tools. You know, I come home, I'm angry. My husband's not, you know, he's busy or something and I need to get it out. And so I get it out on my canvas or I do something in journaling. I do, I write some more, you know, the blogging helps me too. I, I do things that express myself. And you said something in, in that after the break that was so exciting. It said safe for me to express it. You know, the light, let the light in and safe for me to express it. That's what art helps us do. It helps us to express it, capital I-T. Everybody has a capital I-T. Until you, until you get in touch with the I-T, it's going to keep owning you. For me, it was that rape. It owned me for years. And then all of a sudden, I, when writing the novel, I realized it doesn't own me. It's just something that happens. And through curating my art and stuff, so taking the workshops out has been amazing. I've done conferences, a NAMI conference in Maryland. I, like I said, I'm, oh, I said this during the break. I work with a group, Robin Wood. It's an after-school program for kids in a lower income, and we do art to help them express themselves. I believe if they start to, can express themselves, hopefully that will um, prevent addiction. That is what mm-hmm. my belief is. I took, Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about how your workshops go, like what happens. And I know you have a variety of them. And, again, people can go on your website and look and find out more details. But kind of what happens? Um, Do you have to be an artist or have to be able to draw? Or I I can't draw a stick man, hardly. Well, that is the funniest question. uh So So how does it work? Okay, so first... I can draw because I've been trained to draw, but I don't like to draw, so I don't draw. And I have a, I have, I have something that I say that you know I don't paint sailboats. In fact, somebody got caught, started an argument with me because they were a sailboat painter. I was like, that's fine. I don't do it because I don't feel I never can get the proportions right. I'm an abstract collage kind of an artist. So what happens in my workshops? They're usually about an hour or two, depending if we're painting or not. And I introduce myself, and I again tell my a little, like a five-minute story. I just condense it down because I want people to know where I'm coming from. It's very important for them to know that I'm not just an art teacher. I'm there's something beyond that. So, a lot of times I do a collage workshop where they have magazine pages, and I like maps and music sheets, and I, I bring um, 
colored paper, lots of different kinds of paper. And then I tell them that we, we have a couple rules. And the first rule is there's no rule. You don't have to be an artist. And there's no perfectionism allowed in my class, which means you're allowed to make mistakes because a lot of people don't start and they don't finish because they're afraid to make a mistake. And I said, actually, mistakes are welcome here, right? And, and, and so I don't give them scissors. And I say, I want you to find an image and tear, and you will find a lot of relief in tearing. And I, sometimes I find people creasing. And I'm like, no, 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 no creasing because they're still trying to tear a perfect line. No creasing. So I teach them how to hold their fingers and tear out the actual thing. And I said, and if you accidentally lose the tail on the dog, that's okay, because that's God's way of saying that's what the picture is supposed to look like. You tear out your pictures. It's, it's called stars. So we search and um, tear, and then we attach, and then we reflect, and then we sign. Collage is not something new. I didn't create collage. I just created this, this like, five-step way for us to be stars. And it is amazing to me, once they do these collages, what comes out and messages that they get. They get messages that, you know, something they're going through in life. I did it at a homeless a shelter preventing homelessness, so they were in transition off the streets. And I told them that we're going to do a dream collage. Sometimes I set intents for them. I want you to, what do you want? And, and I always ask the question, do you want to be homeless next year? And it's usually a hard question. No. Okay, so what is your dream for next year? You know, and some of them put houses down, some of them put, you know, but they all came up with something different and they had symbols. The, the most amazing thing is the symbols. This one woman used animals, and each animal symbolized something different in her. There was a family of animals. She was very much into her family and protecting her family. And then there was a tall animal, kind of like a giraffe, and it, it told her, you know, she wanted to stand up tall and move forward in life. So I get these amazing things, and it just gives me chills like I got that you know, I'm really just a vehicle. I'm just doing service for God, and I'm just a vehicle teaching these people. Another workshop I do is an intuitive painting workshop, and you can see all of, you can see my students' work, and you can see my work in the gallery page on www.recoveryartstudio.com. You can see that. I try to keep it up to date, and little videos and you can see and and intuitive painting is amazing because you just and I have a, a video on there about how to start one and you basically just squirt some colors and take an old credit card and start moving it around and then you add layers and layers and as you add layers it's kind of like the layers in our life come out until you get from the dark up until the the light I don't know I I, I didn't make this up this comes from somewhere divine it's just amazing things happen and I had this one student, she's a counselor, and I took a painting night. We went into a, we did a virtual vacation. So I did this painting night with this, and one of the counselors, they came, some of these people came in with pictures. I said, now put those pictures down. This is not a sip and paint. You know, anybody heard of sip and paint? If you want to do one of those, go down the road. I'll tell you, I'll actually, I have no problem giving you the resource. Here's the sip and paint place. Of course, I'm not sipping and painting because I don't drink, but if that's the experience you want, I have no problem passing you on to my neighbors down the street. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to do some intuitive painting. And she brought a picture, and she's like, oh, no, I like blocks. You know, I like straight lines and blocks. I was like, that's okay. You know, let's just try this. And I did not realize how anxious this person was. I just, I kind of think, oh, it's so easy. And so I'm, I'm also learning the, the, the challenges of the walls. And I don't know if she's addicted or not, but she is a, she is, somebody who deals with addiction. So she started and then, and, and, and then she finished her first canvas and she didn't feel, still didn't feel comfortable. I said, would you like another canvas? And she said, yes. And then all of a sudden she was off and running. And this was an African-American woman and she was working on a big, huge painting. And she was talking about like putting an afro on her, her person, like, like culturally. I said, why don't you take and use this technique on the afro? Do all the, the straight stuff you do, like all that, and then make the afro real crazy with this stuff. And she, she liked that. Later I found out that she, I'm, I don't, she didn't call it this, but it sounded like she had OCD, uh, the mm -hmm. obsessive compulsive disease. Everything had to be in order. If there was a piece of lint on the, the, the couch, she couldn't focus. If somebody dropped something in her house, she's screaming and yelling. I mean, and this experience in this painting class actually helped to release some of that. Hmm. And, 
when I heard her story, because I worked with those, those, some of those people in that facility are in my Anne Arundel recovery when I went back to do some work and had a conversation with her, and she was telling me this, that she had family over and somebody dropped something, and they all were waiting, and she's just like, okay, just leave it there. And they were, were like, what? I mean, the, the healing that happened, I'm just getting chills thinking about it. And I said, can you please write me a testimonial about that because that needs to go up. People need to hear. Because I didn't go in there with that intention. I went in there just to give them a way to release and relax because people dealing with addicts and detoxing and stuff need also a way to de- to release some of that. You know, they're, yeah. they're impacted by, you know, maybe they've had somebody come back two or three times and then they hear that person overdosed and died. I mean, you just don't know what the people on that side are healing, hearing, so they need to heal too. That was my intent, but the things that happened in a class like that just are divinely inspired, and I'm just the vehicle to, to take it out there and, and take the workshops out there to the people to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. Um, yeah, it's true. It's like when you, you open up some space for people and, and they get in touch with that. Well, I mean, you can call it whatever you want, but higher power or flow of life or your inner world or whatever. And to me, that's where it's that's where it's at. That's what we're trying to do. I think, for me anyway, it it, it is definitely. And I'm getting ready. I'm taking one in on the 23rd of January to my 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 elementary school. This was a she was a counselor in one of my workshops and she mentioned the elementary school and that's where at 10 years old I found out about art therapy. Somebody gave me a magazine and said flip through the magazine and see if there's something you, you might want to do when you grow up. So I'm going home and wow. it's volunteer and, and I'm just so excited because I'm going to, you know, it's not really when you brand and you, and you bring up a business and they say well, find your audience and zoom in, but you know, you've got teachers out there that are first responders. They are working with with children that are being traumatized at very young age and if there's not somebody to listen to them or if they don't know how to decompress or heal from some of this stuff or give the students i want to teach the teachers how train the teachers how to use the collage with their kids to do either homework assignments or if there's one that just isn't talking maybe they can pictures will come out that will help them so i'm going to go back and i'm really excited to revisit where it all started and, and take a gift back to them. I don't know if my teacher is still alive. I asked them to look for her and bring her for the workshop. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know if they found her, but um, that's what I do with the workshop. Right now I go out. I do My work is in my home, so I don't have a place set up, but I go out and I am looking, you know, I have getting ready to team up with uh, Queen's Inc., which is a supply. Like she has her own studio and, and does, paper products, you know, and stamping and stuff. And so I'm looking to find places that um, I can invite the public into as a safe place. To, we're going to do a God box. You probably would be interested in that. We're going to do yeah. a God box with all the techniques, the intuitive painting, the collage, the journaling, as a place as a place to put your worries. You know, once you put it in the box, don't take it back out. You're not supposed to take it back out. And we're going to create, like, I don't know if it's a shrine, but, you know, in honor of our higher power. Um, a God box. And so I'm hoping to maybe have some videos or stuff up on the website that'll be free to show people that, um, what that looks like and, and what the boxes can look like. And they're made out of cigar boxes. You can get a cigar box for a buck or two or three at a cigar store. And they're, they're really cool things to work with. So, and it won't, it should not be a hard project. So those are the kind of workshops and things that I am taking out to, to help and teach people about the healing power of art. Amen. Well, um, our, we're almost near the end of our time, but let me ask you this. Um, obviously, you live on the East Coast, and so uh, people might be able to locate you there if they if they live around in there. And we've already given your website, recoveryartstudio.com. Other than that, if people are interested and they go on your website, you've got a lot of resources on there or uh, – how can they access art? I know people are doing, not exactly like you, everybody's different, but there are other avenues, I guess, around the country and around the world where people might be uh, utilizing art for recovery or therapy or whatever. But how can our listeners uh, 
access this if they want to do some of this? Can they do it by themselves? Can they start something? Can they contact you? What, what would be an avenue for people to get going if they're interested in doing this wonderful work for themselves? Thank you. So they can mm-hmm. definitely contact me, PM me on, you know, private message me on Facebook. I look at my, my, I have a personal page. Also, I have a group that is a closed group that's called Recovery Art Community where people are posting and talking about how art helps them heal. There is no promotion, including mine, on the page, so it's just a safe place to poems, music videos. We've had all sorts of fun things on there, and it's, and it's a way for people to say, you know, I've had a hard day, and this is the painting I did. So that's it. If you, if you want to learn technique, you know, take a class if you're a senior. Senior centers have awesome classes. Take a class at your community college. There's a lot of YouTube. I go on YouTube. There's a lot of YouTube uh, videos. I mean, I go on there and watch the intuitive painting because it inspires me, and I watch what some of the other instructors are doing. And, you know, I'm the only one. I'm not the only one in 12 Steps that is doing artwork, but I think I'm, I'm hoping to lead the movement in the 12 Step and artwork combination. And I will be putting out, videos and blogs on my website, tools, tips, and tricks there. And then eventually I am going to be um, taking my book and moving it into a course so people will have that. There's, there's some some of these things I've talked about I, are in the book and, and their workshops, but for them to do them themselves, and it doesn't take a lot of space. I'm, I've heard people say, oh, I don't have any space. Oh, for God's sake, move a little bit of space off your kitchen table and or clear out a closet. And you don't need that much space, really. You can take a pencil and a pad and carry it with you. There's now apps on your phone. There's coloring apps on your phone. Um, there's, there's coloring books. Coloring is great for the addict because it quiets our mind. I don't like, personally, and this is just me, I'm sorry, I don't like the ones that are very detailed. It's too, the lines are too close for me. I like bigger, bolder ones. Mm-hmm. I have a coloring book. I have a coloring page I'm going to put out. If anybody wants the one I've done, it's called Recovery Make streams possible. I'll be happy to send it to you. I'm going to put it up as a PDF, free PDF on my site. Um, I will have it there. So there's a lot of resources out there, and I would just say journal. Just get a dollar book from the dollar store, a composition book, and start writing your story. Start writing mm-hmm. your story, and you'll be amazed at how much better you feel when that stuff comes out. Gratitude mm-hmm. list. Write a gratitude list. Um, Anything that you said, like you said, get it out. It's safe for me to express it. And the more we express, the quieter our mind gets and the better we can manage our addiction and grow strong recovery. That's wonderful. So nobody's alone. There's lots of resources and reach out. Lots. Yep. Lots of resources Um, and definitely groups on Facebook. I mean, like I said, Recovery 2.0 is out there. They don't necessarily do art, but there's lots of places to talk about recovery out there, look, just do recovery on Facebook and see what kind of groups that you can join and talk and, and explore with. And like I said, Recovery Art Studio, join a, a Recovery Art Community. It's a great place for you to see what people are doing and, and you know, talking. And if you're interested in somebody's work, we just PM. We just get off the site. And, you know, you can always personal message somebody and me, and I'll be happy to chat with you and, and see what's going on in your community. That sounds great. Yep. And uh, you can, again, if you go on Robin's site, you can – Make sure you get the spelling of her name, but it's her last name is G-I-L-L-I-A-M, but that's all on her site. So, Robin, thank you so much, first of all, for what you're doing. It's amazing and wonderful, and thank you for uh, doing it, and thank you for being my guest. It's been wonderful. Just such a delight to talk to you and hear all that you have to share. Thanks for being my guest. Thank you for having me. I look forward to the URL, and we'll put that, you know, now that it's not live, we'll put that up on the site so people can get to the interview anytime they'd like to listen. That sounds good. Yes, and that'll go up on the Spirit of Recovery Facebook page as well. And, yes, so you can find it in in numerous places. So thanks again to Robin. Thanks to all of you for listening, and have a wonderful week, and know that who you are is truly a blessing. And we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. God bless. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org. Thank you.
know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, and according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. If you're inspired by the teachings of Dr. Wayne Dyer, you will love the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast with Nadia Dela Cruz. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. My name is Nadia Dela Cruz, and I started the Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life podcast to explore spiritual topics like manifestation and meditation with guests who share their own stories of insight, awakening, and transformation. Listen now on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts. 